1: Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to Quince.com/slash trip for free shipping at 365-day returns.
0: The Irish Times Business Podcast in association with Irish Life. Eight of the top ten Irish companies choose to do business with us. We know Irish Life. We are Irish Life. Hello and welcome to Inside Business with Kieran Hancock. This week, my guest in studio was Mark Fitzgerald, a founder of Ireland's largest estate agent, Sherry Fitzgerald. He recently announced his decision to step down as chief executive after 35 years at the helm. Although he will remain as chairman and a 40% shareholder in the business, Mark told me about his reasons for stepping aside, why the government should retain the help to buy scheme, the need for radical thinking to solve our housing crisis, and growing up with former T. Garth Fitzgerald as his father. Don't forget that you can subscribe to this podcast for free on iTunes and it's also available on our website, irishtimes.com forward slash podcasts. So, Mark Fitzgerald, thank you for joining us. Um, 35 years at the top of Sherry Fitzgerald. It's, uh, it's a heck of a long time and you've seen a lot, obviously, during that period. But curious to know why you've chosen to stand down now. Well, I suppose
1: I chose to stand down now because it's the order of life. I was uh, 60 last week and it seemed like a good time to do something. Um, you know, and also I was a, lo- a long time in, in the job and uh, I thought that somebody uh, uh, who might bring some fresh impetus and uh, mm. new energy to the company for the next five to 10 years was, was what was required. And obviously at, at my stage of life, I wasn't going to be that person. So it's something that was, I think, was the right thing for the company and the right thing for me personally.
0: And a bit of a generational shift. Stephen McKenna's taken over. I
1: think he's in his late 30s. He is. He's still in his thirties. Yes, <laughs> good young man. No, he's t- he's taken over. He's obviously worked with us for eight or nine years. He's knows the company well. Understands the culture. you he knows he's ambitious for the company. Uh, understands the property market and uh, how it relates to the world we live in and how it relates to the society we live in. So I think he'll do an excellent job. You know, he, but he, you know, Stephen is, as he say, as he would say himself, as I was, as part of a team. So it's a it's a very good uh, management team that. Um, leads the different businesses. And uh, there's, a, there's a, hopefully a, a cohesion that in the mm. company that's going to continue under his leadership.
0: Yeah, now let's talk about the current state of the company and indeed the housing market, because you've come through almost a decade of you know recession, austerity, and now recovery, uh, which has taken down a lot of players, a lot of companies across all sectors, and I'm sure a lot of estate agents as well. Uh, tell us how Sherry Fitzgerald weathered the recession.
1: Well, I suppose we weathered it with resilience, a bit like the Irish people. Uh,
0: but you know, how, how big were you uh, in late 2008 when the market well, crashed? Well, how, big, well, how big? How big was? If we take it back,
1: probably about 2006, we were about 350 people in our core business. So you know, by I suppose five years later, we were 200 people. But it was it wasn't that we had any great Black Friday. It was more people emigrating, younger people traveling, people changing careers. Uh, obviously, you know, incomes dropped and. Uh, you know, we worked hard to maintain employment levels and it was difficult to keep 200 people employed.
0: Yeah. How many in, houses
1: were you selling in oh in six? You know, in 06, I suppose we were selling close well, probably oh five, close to 10,000 okay. na- nationally. That includes our franchise right. business. And what,
0: what would we have been talking
1: about, uh, 09, 10, 11, that kind of period? I suppose we'd be talking sort of three three and 3,500.
0: So it fell off a cliff.
1: Well, to give you an example, I think in 2002, in Dublin and Cork, we sold 4,200 new homes and in 2011 we sold 89. 89. Wow. Okay, and
0: when did the market begin to turn again? I suppose I think, I,
1: you know, the, the summer of 2012 I certainly noticed uh, uh, a fact that wasn't so much momentum in the market that we'd actually slowly there were signs we were beginning to turn a corner. Um, and the, the frustrating thing about that was it was quite obvious that there was going to be a a housing crisis, a, a supply side crisis, but Unfortunately, the kind of the narrative of the time was still looking backwards, understandably looking backwards with a degree of anger about what had happened. And we weren't looking forwards. And some mm. of the problems we have today are as a consequence of possibly people not being alert to things in 2012 as the way they should have been.
0: OK, we'll come on to the housing in Christ in a moment, but maybe just go back to pre-08, those Celtic Tiger years, yeah. uh, the bubble years, as everybody talks about them now. Uh, a lot of uh, the finger of blame being pointed at bankers and regulators and property developers and so forth. Do estate agents have a case to answer for how the market was uh, pumped up in the years before the crash?
1: Well, uh, I, think, I think it's a fair, a fair question. I, I would like to think, uh, you know, you know, speak for only ourselves and our own company. We, you know, we did our best in difficult circumstances. I mean, what is the role of an estate agent? The role of an estate agent, I suppose, in essence, is to moderate human behaviour. Uh, it's involved in the market system. The market system is by no means perfect. It's you know, flawed in many respects. Um, but we do try to get it to operate on a fair basis for, for consumers that, that uh, you know, find themselves involved in it. Um, but did you not one, think I, at the time that prices suppose, were vastly I suppose, overinflated? I, I suppose, can come back to that in a sec, but I suppose on the one hand, when you're actually selling somebody's house and you're selling somebody's house, <laughs> say, in March '06, your job, professionally... Is to get the best price for that for that house, and it's you are in an unusual situation. You're placed in a difficult situation. You've got to be an advocate for the price for that house to get the best price, because that's why somebody's coming to you. And it's, it's a clear understanding that people who are buying the house understand your jobs to get the best price. So, on the one hand, you've got to get the best mm. price, and well, the on the other hand, you do have a duty as a business uh, to society. And I suppose what we were doing in that respect. You know, we began back in 1996 publishing a Dublin House Price Index, and in 2000, we started produ- producing a National House Index. So we were actually producing the data every quarter without fear or favor, which showed prices dropping. And actually, we were showing prices dropping before many people believed they were dropping to the degree they were They were dropping. And uh, funnily enough, maybe because we were state agents, mm-hmm. uh, we weren't listened to sufficiently. Sure, but I mean,
0: to, you must have been also going to houses uh, that people were trying to sell, and and you must have been encouraging them to 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 reach for certain price points. Uh, and presumably, I presume you were saying to them, you know, hopefully, we'll get beyond that as well.
1: Well, when you when you th- when the market's on the move and it has a, a future where prices are likely to rise, you know, you know, your job, you know, your job is to st- stretch and try and get the best price. When a market's retrenching, as it began to ha- began to do. Your job is really to advise people, say, if you really do want to sell this house, this is the price we can get yeah. for you. I know you'd like to get more, but we can't get more because the market isn't there. So I suppose what we do at the end of the day is interpret the market. Sure,
0: but as an experienced professional, did you not think that the prices that were being charged on Irish property prices at the time, and the whole sort of madness that surrounded it, that, they, it, thought,
1: yes, I, that I, it was I, completely mad? I thought, you know, I, thought, I did think the prices were excessive, okay? And, I, and I, I could see there was a correction coming. What I didn't see was the, was the global global crisis uh, and that wasn't sort of on my radar to the degree that maybe might have been others but certainly yes we you could see that Irish price prices had risen and the affordability issue you could see there was a relationship between rents and capital values but the evidence was there but as Joe Lee the historian I remember watching in an RT programme uh, you know in the, in the depths of the recession and his point about it was all the information was there but it wasn't pulled together so what I think what was lacking in society as a whole was a lack of curiosity people just didn't look at the data Sufficiently and pull it together. So, what do we do? We publish the data. You know, we obviously when we were asked and put forward, put forward our views as to where the market was. We did so. Uh, you know, and uh, did give advice to mm. government and governments at the time as to as to where we thought the market was.
0: Mm. But do you look at, back in that period a little bit and cringe at all about some of the maybe some of the, you know, some of the marketing that you put around some of these properties?
1: Like well. Uh, I think, as I say, I, I, you know, if I look at the totality of Sherry Fitzgerald, I think we've done our best job in all the circumstances. So do I have regrets? Obviously, I have some. I, I wouldn't have major regrets because I did think we did our best and you can do no better than your best at any given time. But it's quite clear what our, what our contract with people is to sell, sell people's houses and do the best we can. We also have a contract as a society to behave responsibly, to be fair, tell the truth and to record what's actually happening. And that's what we did. You know, we did publish our index, but we found it very difficult to get our index in the front page of newspapers and news bulletins. You yeah. know, people just weren't interested. OK,
0: well, let's skip forward now. We find ourselves in the extraordinary situation uh, where we have a housing crisis. Um, for years and years before the crash in 08, we were building probably too many houses, but probably building yeah. them in the wrong places. And now we have a, an acute shortage of housing, certainly in key areas like Dublin, for example, Um What's your assessment of the housing crisis? How did it come about and and how might we solve it?
1: Well, I think it's incredibly difficult to get equilibrium in cities in terms of supply and demand. So it's not an Irish phenomenon, it's not a Dublin phenomenon, it's a global phenomenon. It's as if, as soon as a city in the world is doing anyway well, it has a major housing problem. You know, one, you know, as sure as night follows day, that actually happens. So we're not the only city or the only group of cities dealing with a housing crisis and nobody seems to have a... Have the right answer as yet, so it's a, maybe it's a part of the factor of globalisation that it's all happening so quickly. Cities seem unable to react uh, in a responsive fashion to the pace of the world, and that's sort of something I sort of noticed in the last five, seven years happening. Um, what are the, what are the solutions? I suppose solutions. So it is, I would say that it is is to increase supply, but it is decreasing supply. I suppose what we need to do is make things happen. You know, I think businesses all businesses have their shortcomings but one thing that business is good at is of making things happen i think uh, as a society in terms of our public services we don't make things happen quickly enough, so there is a, a major supply issue and the way you do solve that is to is to is to build more and build more quickly on the one hand we have to have regulation uh, you know which is which is all part and parcel of an absolute necessity but uh, you know in terms of safety standards i'm all for regulation but in terms of trying to actually get, you know, densities and get things built, I think we probably need less regulation.
0: Mm. Now that might concern people because what we've come to learn is that a lot of the apartments, for example, and some of the houses that were built in the boom years,
1: they they weren't built very well. I'm differentiating here. I'm not talking about standards. I'm all all absolutely for rigorous standards. I'm talking about the process, how quick the process actually happens. Mm. And uh, it is awful to see uh, a situation where we have the housing problem degree we have. You know, it it is, it, it you know, you'd know, you wonder and scratch your head how how are rents back where they were at the height of the boom already. Now, granted, prices, while people are concerned about prices and expressing frustration at, at missing out on house, house prices in Ireland, are still nearly 40% off where they were 11 years ago. Now, I'm not saying that the price of 11 years ago are a target, but it, you know the prices aren't as big an issue as the rents. If the rents were more moderate, then people would be able to afford to live somewhere. They could choose to then to buy somewhere. So I think our major problem is rents. Uh, it's the bigger of the two problems and uh, you know the, the answer is we need we need to we need to build more but I don't think it's just about building more in Dublin it's building more it's making making sure that Ireland is in a city state so I do think that what the government is talking about in terms of uh, a connected city strategy mm. and doubling the size of the other cities is essential uh, for our country you know yeah,
0: You're from a Fine background obviously your father was former uh, Fine Gael Taoiseach Gareth Fitzgerald uh, what do you think of the new government and Leo Radker's as Taoiseach?
1: Well, I think the uh, I think the the new government is great to see a generational change. Even though I think you know that, in fairness to, Andy Kenny and Michael Noonan and to Labour colleagues like Rory Quinn and Pat Rabbit, and Gilmore, they did, you know their experience actually is what the country needed in two thousand eleven, and they certainly did the country significant service. I I think uh, it's wonderful to see somebody uh, you know of Leo's generation, um, uh, you know of Leo's background and and of, of Leo's Leo's intelligence uh, become Taoiseach. You know, I think when you look at What's happening in Britain? I'd say a lot of people in Britain would give the right hand to have Leo Overacker as Prime Minister.
0: Yeah, and Owen Murphy's the new Housing Minister, and he's talking about, or there have been reports at least that the Help to Buy scheme might be axed. It's only in place; it's less than a year really since they began taking applications. What's your view on that?
1: Well, my view on that is it's beginning to work. Actually, it's increasing supply. I think when you actually look at the data, uh, you know, house prices increasing, but where the data. The evidence is showing is that the increases are coming in the second-hand market where there's a very limited supply. Uh, so housing, you know, the amount of houses coming in the market this year in the second-hand market is significantly down last year, and that's where the prices are rising. You know, what we're finding is that as we increase supply of new homes, uh, uh, you know, price increases are actually moderating in that sector. So I would say the help-to-buy scheme is working, and we'd probably need to do more mo- do more to actually reduce uh, construction costs and, in- and increase output. And the, that's the real challenge for the minister. So I don't think I'd tinker with the policy he has. I think probably I would add to the policy that he has.
0: Yeah, and the property sector is looking for a reduction in VAT, for example, down to 9% and other reductions in, in input costs. Would you be, you know, some people aren't convinced that those savings will be passed on to the consumer? What
1: do you think? I think if you handle it right, they will be. If you handle it wrong, they mightn't be. So it's just a question if you... Of you moving quickly and uh, making sure you get the impetus and the supply out. But let's absolutely know that if our objective, uh, Kieran, is to have a competitive society. Where we can have full employment, we can offer young people jobs, attract businesses in here, and have people give people a quality and a standard life. Then we need, uh, you know, competitive house prices and competitive rents. The only way you're going to solve that problem is you supply. Supply. You need to get a step ahead. The private sector needs to be enabled to go and deliver, and public sector and social housing. You know, we need to uh, grab that by the horns and actually go for it, and have a much more ambitious program in terms of investing in infrastructure and public and social housing as well. And do you think the government should be building social housing? I do. I think you know. I think the real challenge for any government when they're dealing with so many pressures concurrently is to is to keep the is to keep what I call the curiosity agenda, the imagination agenda, going new ways of doing things. And I, you know, I just I don't think just just about Fine Gael, but I think in the other political parties, there's you know, there's good to see younger people, it's good to see imagination and people up for a challenge. So I think you know, if I were to say one thing, I think the... The political, the political system. You know, I know that the dial is tightly balanced. Mode, but I, but I would be reasonably optimistic, and the quality for our politicians across the board is probably quite good relative to, to many other countries.
0: And if the government came to you tomorrow and said, "Mark, we're looking at a whole range of things that we might do to improve the property market in Ireland," we'd like one suggestion from you. What would it be?
1: Well, I, mean, I think it's more the first. Just I say would be one word: radical. You know, I think you, you have to put a context of what your approach should be. So, I think we need a much more radical approach. And then, what would what what would be on the agenda of a radical approach? I would think, uh, you know, reducing the cost base and uh, increasing supply, and um, probably you know have a much more target driven planning system. Um, so that if we need to build x thousand houses, we've a target that says x thousand houses need to get built, and somebody owns that target. So, you know, I think at the moment the planning system is. Operated and I understand it preserves the rights of citizens from the bottom up, but I think we may need a much more top-down system um, where we set a target. We're, we're building, you know, twenty-five thousand houses next year. This is where five thousand are going to be built. This is where two thousand are going to be built, and this is your job to see that they're built. And as a group, you know, so if it's in in Cork or Limerick or Galway or Dublin, people are tasked with responsibility for delivering that target, uh, and they're so getting, take that responsibility away from the local authorities. Well, I'm happy they're with the local authorities, but I think the local authorities, you know, you know, um, should be should be given the ownership and the responsibility for it. But they also need to be given the tools to help deliver it. So it's all very well for saying to a you know a, a progressive local authority, uh, or a county manager, that you want X thousand houses built, but he hasn't got the infrastructure to do it, or she doesn't have the infrastructure to do it; it can't be done.
0: Yeah, and at the minute we're just kind of muddling through this uh, crisis. Are we? Are we heading towards well, another? Under,
1: I think only the target is owned. On, on a breakdown basis nothing is going to happen that should happen so I think that's a key thing is get the target owned um, and broken down as to where the houses need to be built so I think people are talking about 25,000 houses I think actually the figure you know was probably because we haven't built what we should have built I think the figure is actually 35,000 houses so but we need to build yeah you know we need to build it annually and, and we need to get we need to get moving ASAP and that and that is that is private housing and uh, and it's also social housing so there's a big investment needed in infrastructure uh, a much more fast track planning system reduction of that and uh, you know, a, a, an approach of making things happen where politicians say yes I'll back the public servants if you're courageous to do things and the politicians will stand you know, four square behind uh, courageous public servants who make things happen
0: and if we don't um, take that radical action, if we continue to sort of muddle through, are we heading for another property bubble?
1: I, I think instead of, instead of solving a problem that could be solved in two to three years, it'll take six or seven years to solve. That's what's at stake now. If We move quickly, we could put a big dent to the problem in probably three years, two and a half, three years, but if we don't, it's going to take a lot longer. We will get there, but it'll be unfortunate. Mm. So your question about a bubble, well, I think a bubble needs credit, so I don't think we we'll gonna have a bubble. But I do think, you know, we've got to, you know, very good macroprudential guidelines. You know, in terms of a structure, you wouldn't always agree with them, but you recognise the need for them. And I think the central bank is obviously well run. So, if you if you limit your credit, you're going to uh, obviously manage your house prices. As simple as that. That's what, what was missing in the last occasion.
0: It helped to buy obviously uh, is focused on first time buyers and uh, new bills But I suppose uh, a lot of your market is in, in second hand homes. What's you know what's the market for
1: second hand homes like at the minute? But it's very tight. The supply is down. So, you know, how many
0: houses will you sell this year, do you
1: Well, in terms of the, well, roughly speaking, we will sell seven thousand houses. So I suppose nationally that would equate to about probably about five thousand secondhand and agree about two thousand new homes.
0: Right. Um, and obviously, you're you're saying it's very tight. It can't be good for your business, is it? Is it constraining,
1: Sherry Fitz? That's not constraining, Cherry, I mean, as I said earlier, you know, we're about moderating human behavior and reacting to mm-hmm. the set of events. I mean, we obviously, our business would do better if there were more houses for sale. only enough, people think, well, if they're higher house prices, you know, if a state agent do well. But when you actually look at the business model for state agents, it's all about volume. So the more houses we sell, the better we do. It's not the actual price because the differential price doesn't make that much difference in terms of the actual fee. It's the actual volume. So, I mean, funny, you know. In a, in a way, our our interests are aligned with uh, where society is right now. We need more houses, and that would suit our business. But you know, our business is there. We can only, you know, only if we provide a service and do a good job will people use us. Are we are we of any benefit to anybody? And that's so. We've got to be functional, and for that to happen, um, you know, we we've got to do our best at all times. Only twenty nine percent of us know how much we need to
0: live on in retirement. Irish Life is changing that with Empower, a new approach to company pensions that helps change the way your employees think about their future. For more, go to IrishLifeEmpower.ie or talk to your pension consultant. We know Irish Life. We are Irish Life. Irish Life Assurance PLC is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. All information sourced for Irish Life June 2015.
1: So tell us about how you got into the estate agent business in the first place. Um, I suppose I was interested in architecture and houses. I wasn't particularly numerous. I wouldn't be very good at drawing a crooked line or a straight line. Uh, and I came across a, a, a 1926 street directory in my father's study at home uh, where he spent a lot of his time. So if you if you wanted to get to see him, you had to go, come to a study while he was manually typing. So I started to read it one day. So I was about 10 years of age. I was still had Skellextric and was interested in soccer and sport and all things. But I took on this interest. In, this so, is a Tom's, Tom's directory. directory, yeah. So from, from from that day on, I kind of had an interest, and in, I was quite clear I wanted to be an auctioneer when I was eighteen. Uh, I that's think when you would left school. And I left school and straight into the business. Yeah, I think my you know I was probably quite a wayward teenager, not a very conventional teenager in the con- context of uh, of uh, what my parents were expecting. But I think they were happy. I was clear I wanted to do something in life, and uh, that's what I went and did. Now, it didn't turn out the way I thought it would it turn out. It turned out very differently. Nonetheless, it's been a you know enjoyable career.
0: Yeah, what was it like having somebody as Taoiseach, um for your father? I mean, what was your childhood like growing up?
1: Well, it was different. I mean, you know, to see your you know to see my father, you know, I. Uh, you know, I went to his events rather than he come to my events. It was that type of life. So, you know, if we were going around the country in a Senate campaign, you went in the car, that's how you saw him. Like, he w- wouldn't be coming to your matches. He wouldn't have the... It wasn't the interest. He just didn't have the time. I mean, he was, he, 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 he was full on. So then I got involved in Fine Gael and politics with him. So I suppose that a way, a way was to spend time with him. So it was interesting. It was, he was uh, full of surprises. And was
0: there a lot of knocking on doors during elections and all of that kind of stuff? Yeah, there
1: was, yeah, I know from from the age of about 10 till I was, yeah, until he, re- he retired when I was in my early 30s. Yeah, I spent a lot of time uh, doing that type of thing, campaigning and knocking on doors.
0: Very sharp man. Um, became something of a national treasure, I suppose, uh, later in life. He was a feature, always a feature of election campaigns and RTE and wrote a column for the Irish Times and so forth.
1: Yeah, well, I suppose he never stopped working. Um, so he was incredibly committed to working and incredibly curious. So there was probably people appreciated the fact he was he was doing that.
0: Did you consider a career in politics yourself?
1: I considered it, but I didn't do it. <laughs> as to why I didn't do it, it as another issue.
0: Right. I mean, not that you haven't been involved with uh, Fianna Gael, because you have been involved, you know, at, at a number of levels, haven't you, behind the scenes? I was a trustee of the party I was director of elections in the general election twenty years ago yeah um and what's your view of politics now to let's say in your dad's time how's it changed
1: well obviously it, it's moving at a much quicker pace uh, instead of having um now uh, currently in politics there's a multiplicity of 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 crisis probably of a management state whereas in my father's time there was probably less crisis but much of a much more much bigger proportion you know, in look at something like the northern crisis which I suppose, 35, 40 years ago, was regarded as completely insoluble. You know, if you would ask somebody 40 years ago, could the northern crisis be solved, or could the Berlin wall come down, they'd tell you you were bonkers, and obviously, you know, both the Berlin wall came down, and then, I wouldn't say the Northern Ireland is completely resolved, but it's it's much advanced to where it was, so th- that they were tended, you know, domestic matters tended to uh, not have the same priority. Um, obviously. The economic crash was a was was it was a was it was, was a very big big crisis for the politicians of six or seven years ago to deal with. But now we're in recovery. You know we've got issues with the health service, issues with the with housing, which which are are significant issues. But you know if they're managed right, I think they can be solved. Certainly, I think you could solve the housing crisis and the health service issue. It must, mm-hmm. would be easier to solve than the Northern crisis. Right.
0: How many years to solve the housing crisis?
1: Uh, I think in two to three years time if if there's, co- if there's cohesion and consistency of policy and if there's more collaboration between the public and private sector, I think that's a critical thing, Kieran. I think the private It's very
0: difficult with a minority government, though,
1: isn't it? Yeah, well, you know, people have to, I think with a minority government, people have to listen and talk more and there has to be more cross-party cooperation, but um, you will not solve the housing crisis unless you get public and private sector cooperation and there isn't a sufficient amount of that at the moment. You know, the private sector actually funnily enough maybe it's people have a jaundiced view but mm. I wouldn't have but the private sector needs to be more involved in, in providing the solutions to the housing crisis without them it isn't going to happen.
0: And for a lot of people they're looking at some of the property developers that you know kind of got us into the mess in the first place they're looking at them coming back and they're part of the solution now and that sticks in the craw of a lot of people.
1: Well, like I think they're, you know, I think in fairness to any profession, you were talking about politicians. They're good politicians and not so good politicians. They're, they're good estate agents, maybe, and not so good estate agents. They're good journalists and maybe other journalists who aren't so good. But I, I you know, I, I think developers uh, and uh, I know the, you're in the good cohort, obviously, Kieran. But thank you, I, thank you. <laughs> but you know, the, I think uh, I would speak up for developers. I know I found you know a lot of developers were very fine people who did a very good job, took a lot of risks. There were some developers. That even in good times, I would have crossed the other side of the road rather than meet, I w- and I wouldn't work with. Um, who? Who? Well, uh, <laughs> I don't think you'd have to be t- too curious to guess that one, but um, some, you know, particularly high-profile developer, I, I resigned working from 1993. and never worked again with him. Right. Um, to give you one example, without naming anybody, but you can figure that out. Okay. Um, let's go back to your your early career. Do you remember the first house you sold? I do, yeah. No, it was in Emmet Road in Inchicore.
0: And tell us more. How did it come well, about? It
1: was, well, I was an executor sale. I I was given the keys. A lot of the houses were selling. This was back in 1975, hmm. late 75. A lot of the houses were selling at the time. Had nobody living in them. They were executor sales. So
0: terrace house. Terrace house.
1: Yeah, six thousand three hundred pounds. Number one hundred seventy five Emmet Road. But it was, uh, you know, there was a. There weren't. There weren't. What's it worth now? I wonder. Uh, that's it. You know, well, it's worth it's worth a lot more than eight thousand anyway. But it's uh, in, Chikor is, uh, in Chikor is is so much, you know if you have in Inchicore at the moment, it's it's well sought after. It wasn't so well sought after, but you know equally, house in Contarf weren't sought after, sought after or rap minds. So, you know you'd be waiting for Godo for viewers. You'd be standing there on Saturday afternoon, nobody coming to the viewings because I think what actually happened was, you know. In the 1950s, so many people left Ireland, there were very few young people to buy houses. So if you were, you know, the year my father was born, you'd only have 50% chance of being alive and living in Ireland in 1960 when you were 33 or 34. And, you know, the year I did my leavings, are 75, uh, 1975, only 28,000 people did their leavings there. So that was the type of market. And there were no vendors, very few vendors, most of the houses were executor sales. Uh, and the families had emigrated so you were writing letters to people saying I have an offer and you were hearing back from Australia or somewhere 10 days later you know but uh, there was and uh, viewings were low so and it was an easy city to get round so you could show a house in Malahide in the morning and then go on to Rohini and then show one in Kalini and uh, nearly be back in the office before lunch the traffic was so so sparse Right. and what kind of commissions did estate agents command back in those days two and a half percent two and a half percent and what are you charging now? I suppose the fees now are sort of one and a half, one
0: and three quarter percent. Mm. Of, and you're one of the more expensive in the market, aren't you, in I terms think of fees. So, find the best value, I would hope. You know. <laughs> um, okay, so let's uh, fast forward on you. You sort of learnt to trade over a number of years, and then in, I think it was 1982, you co-founded uh, Sherry
1: Fitzgerald. Yeah. 82. Yeah, and I was 25, so there was no great master plan. It was just it just happened and. After the Rolling Stones concert in Slane, we start opening doors on Tuesday and uh, hope for the best. And didn't know much about business. Didn't. Where was the first office? The office in Marion Row. Just
0: okay, it was back, a fancy
1: address. It was, but it was you know, it was a modest office. It was where you know it was where the original Fitzgerald and Partners was. You know, Alex Fitzgerald was no relation of mine, but I went to work with him and his partners in 1975. It's where their office was. So the Sherry business was in Backer Street and the two two businesses came together and became Sherry Fitzgerald. That's Philip Sherry who's uh, still, still involved in the business. Yeah, and his father yeah. Anthony, his late father Anthony Sherry, yeah. Yeah,
0: okay. Um, and how many houses did you sell? Do you remember how many houses you sold that first year? I think we sold about 40 houses. Okay, and, and now you're
1: doing about 7,000. I 000. sold most of myself.
0: Right. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, you could have gone into business on your own. Yeah, well, well you need a team that's, you know, Sherry Fitz has been his success It's about the team. It's, you know, it's about choosing the people, so it is fundamentally a people business that people come to us for the service people provide. Yeah. So,
0: so somebody's listening in, and they're thinking of selling their house, and they're wondering what agent they should go for. Obviously, they should go for Sherry Fitzgerald. Let's just take that as a given. But uh, if they're sitting down and considering um, what they should look for in an estate agent, what advice would you give them?
1: Uh, I'd go with somebody with integrity, somebody with intelligence, somebody who's efficient, and somebody who's got empathy. Mm.
0: So not to focus on price?
1: Well, you'll get the price if you get those qualities on somebody. That would be be my approach. It is about not just the brand, it's about the person with the brand. Mm. That's what I think people do choose. Um, And we talked about Dublin
0: earlier, and you said that the government really needs to focus on other areas outside of Dublin for development, and that's something you have been doing as a business uh, over the last number of years, particularly through this franchise model that you've established. Tell us a little bit about that.
1: I suppose it was probably an idea I got from politics. Um, You know, I learned, learned for somebody who grew up in Dublin, I learned a lot about Ireland and saw the the dynamism in Ireland and the strong sense of community. So, you know, at a young age, I'd covered every corner of Ireland. So, Um, you know, and I I felt uh, there were a lot of good estate agents out there in the the mid-90s, late 90s, and uh, the country was on the move. And... uh, I felt if we came together in some sort of some sort of cooperative type venture, um, we might create a, a you know a, a national organisation that would raise the bar. It would be good business in itself, but it raised the bar for everybody else in terms of service. And um, I started talking to different estate agents around Ireland, and out of that came the franchise. So, you know, I didn't mm-hmm. wake up one morning. We didn't wake up one morning with a eureka moment and said we have an idea. It you know came together with because um, it's quite a fragmented market, isn't it? I mean, there must be
0: I don't know, hundreds, thousands of estate agents around the country.
1: Yeah, but well, I, I suppose we know we're fortunately for reasonably good market share, and it is because of the teamwork. It's because we have, um, mm. you know, twenty three of our own offices and sixty eight franchises, We've over ninety offices, so um, you know that means that you know we can ref- you know refer purchasers, cooperate, do the you know get the best and latest development in knowledge, IT as and well. marketing, and, and local knowledge and based you know be community based at the same time. So yeah.
0: Um, and there have been some other, uh, I don't know if innovations is quite the right word, but you were on the stock market for four years, you were in the UK, uh, you now have this relationship with Cushman and Wakefield, which is on the commercial side of the business, uh, so different things at different times for the we business. Were
1: never, Yeah, we were probably never short of innovation, not everything worked, but some things worked, thankfully. Uh, you know, we were on the market for four years, uh, we were probably we were too small a company in retrospect, the free float was too small. But it succeeded another way. It really uh, turned the business into a national brand. We, you know, we became very well known. So it inadvertently succeeded. And then we bought the business back four years later, and and uh, you know, paid you know, bought it back at the price we'd floated at, virtually the price we floated at. And um, then we got you know got involved in other things like my home. And in two thousand five, we diversified into into London, bought an estate agency there, Martian Parsons, which you know, uh, we, were, we were lucky because it was a good buy and it was a good business and it worked out well for us and the, the timing was good, but there was uh, no grand plan. You know, I met somebody, I met a person who into the business there, Peter Rawlings, at a, at, a, at a conference in Australia, so that's how that came about. And the reason why I was in Australia is because my father had gone to Australia and never been to Australia, so I, I didn't know how he'd... Uh, I said I thought it was a good idea... I might go out and see him in Australia. So I went to see him in Australia. So if my father hadn't gone to Australia, I would have never have managed to acquire Martian Parsons. Um, so it's one of those things in life that I was lucky.
0: Yeah, coincidence. Um, now, when I wrote a story last week about you stepping aside as, uh, as uh, Chief Executive of Sheriff Australia. You're going to stay on as non-executive chairman and you are um, still a substantial shareholder in the business. But somebody said to me the following day that they felt, that, well, they were curious as to whether maybe this was a signal that you were planning to sell up. Um, that the business might be taken over, maybe in
1: the near future. Well, there's nothing, there's nothing like that currently on the agenda, but you know, and but, but it obviously is an it is an issue how where the business goes to in the future. Um, you know, I'm 60 years of age, so you know things will change. I'm not sure where that's going to that what course that is going to take, but it's, you know, really a matter for the Steve McKenna, the new CEO, to look at. But uh, you know, as the moment it's steady she goes and, and move forward. I mean, we're very conscious that we want to. Um, continue to offer the same service and uh, uh, preserve the culture we have so um, I don't think there's going to be a lot of change in in, in the near future in, in Cherry Fitz
0: and you're a 40% shareholder
1: approximately yeah. yeah
0: so the decision ultimately I mean you're going to have a big say in the decision um, how long do you see yourself being a shareholder in the business
1: well I have no short term plans at all to exit that you know I'd like to actually stay as in a you stay, you know, stay involved in the business, stay as a shareholder, you know, for, you know, a considerable number of years yet. You know, I enjoyed the business and I, as long as I feel I'm contributing to it, that's the the way I want it to be, so.
0: Yeah, and your involvement, it'll be, it won't be day to day, obviously, but every week, once a week, twice a week,
1: or? Well, I mean, obviously the non-executive part of the role is important, but I think, I, you know, given that I, I know people and I've dealt with people over the years, I'm going to be involved in, you know, with, you know, interacting with clients and uh, you, know, you know where the business might go in the future and obviously we'll have a you know an influence and a say on that as well in terms of strategic direction so i will be still pretty active it won't be not an executive in the truest sense but you know i won't be i won't be on the on the management team and uh, you know getting involved in the day-to-day decisions
0: and finally mark for any first-time buyers out there considering getting on the property ladder buying a, a home what advice would you have for them
1: well, I think uh, to do your research, uh, to seek professional advice. Um, don't list, don't listen to every opinion. Listen to people who actually have the knowledge and the, and the experience. Uh, and um, you know, probably to get themselves a good solicitor who's efficient, who they can relate to, and uh, probably in the mortgage area, probably you know, consider using a good mortgage broker. You know, that's what um, rather than dealing directly with the banks deal directly with the banks but you know, there are tools there to have I mean people are time poor and you know a good mortgage broker um, actually saves people a lot of time and you know puts the choice in front of them
0: and there's that old adage of location 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 does that still stand or is it simply a case of you get take a house wherever you can find it
1: well I think you, you need to um, be comfortable you need to be comfortable I mean if you, I mean, you are probably or it's a young person I'm taking a 30 a 32 or a 33 or a 35 year mortgage what they do need to do is not think about their life for the next two years. They need to think about their life longer than that. So they need to be pretty comfortable of, of where they're living and why they're living. They need to research, you know. The, people know this, you know, look at the commute times at certain times of the week, understand what they're, they're what they're getting into and uh, be pretty thorough and, and talk it out. And probably, you know, which I wouldn't have done myself in my day, I was used to doing very very intuitive. I actually bought a car. My last car I bought on a whim there last week, most last week, so I'm no one to ask advice, but certainly, you know, writing things down, the pros and cons, and if you're, you know, and, uh, you know, but at the same time move, moving, and generally speaking, the one thing I would say is that the, uh, and I, you might say, I would say this, that, you know, when an estate agent tells you they have an offer, they, you know, invariably, they do have an offer. It's a highly regulated profession. They've got to record all offers. So, you know, believe what the estate agent tells you generally, unless there's reason not to believe them.
0: Mark Fitzgerald, thank you for joining us. Um, That's it for this week from Inside Business. My thanks to Mark Fitzgerald for joining me in the studio. Declan Conlon produced the show with JJ Vernon as sound engineer. Don't forget you can get the latest business news straight into your inbox by signing up to our business today, email at irishtimes.com. And you can also follow the Irish Times business feed on Twitter and Facebook. I'm Ciarán Hancock. Until next time, take care.